0: Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On our program tonight, new developments in the anti-pipeline blockades. The RCMP agrees to leave the Wet'suwet'en territory, but will that be enough to end the rail blockade? The Minister of Public Safety says it should be. I'll speak with Bill Blair. On a day when the RCMP Civilian Oversight Agency releases a letter that Indigenous advocates say confirms the RCMP has overstepped its authority in dealing with the pipeline protests on the First Nation territory. Hereditary chiefs, well, they've come to Quebec and Ontario to thank blockade supporters, but have yet to agree to a meeting with federal ministers to discuss their grievances and try to de-escalate the crisis. And on a day the House of Commons debates a conservative motion calling for federal politicians to express support for those First Nations who want the gas pipeline and condemnation for those holding the Canadian economy hostage with the blockades. And we'll start with the latest on those anti-pipeline blockades and the efforts to bring them down peacefully. Joining me now with the latest developments is CPAC's Martin Stringer. Martin, we have uh, what some are suggesting is a sign of progress and de-escalation
1: today. What's happened? Well, Peter, the first development and the biggest development today, the pipeline blockades continued around the country, but the big development was that the uh, the RCMP in British Columbia is offering to withdraw to a nearby town and leave the area in Wet'suwet'en territory where a temporary detachment has been set up. Now, that's as long as the Wet'suwet'en agreed to keep a key service road open. Now, remember, it was the RCMP's enforcement of an injunction to remove protest camps along that road earlier this month that triggered the rail Blockades across the country. Now, the public service minister, as uh, public safety minister, uh, says that offer should be enough. That the RCMP offer he thinks is enough to end the blockades that have been uh, that have shut down passenger and freight rail service uh, in other parts of Canada.
2: The condition that that people said was the reason for the barricades has now been met. Um, the RCMP, and uh, in, in, I think, in a very appropriate uh, pursuit of a of, uh, uh, less confrontational and, and in, in the goal of peacekeeping, um, have have agreed to to continue to serve the area, but by, by uh, locating their people in a nearby town, which is entirely their decision, but I think the right one, um, should bring us to a point now well, where the matter can be
0: resolved. So All right, Martin. What's okay? Uh, some see that as a, as a major yeah. step forward in this. Two-plus weeks old now, uh, dispute and conflict that has seen these blockades that have shut down rail service, uh, forced
1: layoffs. Uh, What's been the reaction to the the offer from the RCMP? Well, the Wutsuotin hereditary chiefs who are opposed to the pipeline so far have said that they won't meet with federal ministers unless the RCMP left their territory. So, of course, the big question is whether this offer from the RCMP will be enough to de-escalate the situation. Now, some of those chiefs have come east to thank supporters who have erected rail barricades near Montreal and on Mohawk Territory near Belleville, Ontario. They will be in Tayanaga Territory early tomorrow. That's just near Belleville. They'll be there tomorrow morning and all day Friday. But what about a meeting with the hereditary chiefs that the federal ministers have been asking for for days? Here's what the Crown Indigenous Affairs Minister and the Indigenous Services Minister had to say about that.
3: Minister
4: Miller and, and I, as you know, the, the chiefs have flown uh, to Montreal and uh, are planning to spend um, um, two days at Tonanaga and two days at Ganawagi. Um, all I can say is, no, we haven't heard back from them yet. Uh, and that, uh, but that, um, in my conversation with uh, Hereditary Chief Was uh, on Sunday, the presence of the community industry safety office. The temporary detachment on their land was a a very significant um, obstacle
2: to continuing dialogue. This is an opportunity to get everyone around the table, which is precisely what everyone asked for, uh, in order to get to a a peaceful resolution of this conflict. Everyone wants uh, to take the air out out of this balloon in the most controlled way. The problem is most people are coming up with us with a pin and that isn't the right solution
0: all right Martin so to so to be clear uh, they've talked a lot about how to move forward but th- the truth is so far there's no meeting no meeting after no, all of that yeah. there's there's still no meeting, no as meeting they they no Keep reaching out to hereditary chiefs trying to get uh, a chance to talk face-to-face about huh. the grievances so how did all this play out in Parliament Hill today
1: well, the Prime Minister and the Premier spoke by conference call, and that was a chance for the Prime Minister to update the, prim- the Premiers uh, on the efforts that are being made to end the blockades peacefully. Today also, MPs spent the day in the House of Commons debating a motion the cons- uh, from the Conservatives calling on MPs to support the coastal GasLink pipeline and the members of the Wet'suwet'en who are in favour of it. The motion also calls on the House to condemn quote-unquote radical activists for exploiting divisions in the First Nations community. And the Conservatives continue to call for immediate action. They insist that nothing short of police intervention to bring down the barricades is acceptable.
3: We're now
5: entering into our third week where uh, radical activists are breaking the law, holding up critical infrastructure, and now we're seeing the impacts. Uh, Approximately 1,500 people have lost their jobs having been laid off. I can't imagine their frustration. It is so unjust that... There are now people who will struggle making mortgage payments and bill payments because their jobs have been affected by people breaking the law. And still we hear nothing uh, from this government about action to end these blockades.
0: All right, Martin. So that's the view of the opposition leader, Conservative Party leader Andrew Scheer. Um, He wants action. The NDP wants action too, but a different kind of action. They're calling on the Prime Minister here. What are they saying?
1: Well, I said at least one opposition party is arguing that the Prime Minister himself should meet with the Hereditary Chiefs. Here is NDP leader Jagmeet Singh.
3: What I've said to to actually move this ahead in in a manner that respects how, how serious things are is the Prime Minister should have a month ago met with the Hereditary Chiefs when they asked. And now we are in a situation where they're asking again. Reports show very recently that they're asking again to meet the prime minister he needs to meet with them right away i think that's the path forward and the the fastest way possible
1: and peter so far there is no indication that the prime minister is going to meet with the hereditary chiefs himself so far he seems to be leaving any meetings when and if they happen to his ministers
0: yeah and when and if they happen uh, still seems to be the big question Martin. all right thanks very much you're welcome And one of those ministers who is handling this delicate crisis uh, for the government is the Minister of Public Safety, Bill Blair, and he is with me now. Minister Blair, good to see you again. Uh, good thanks good. for coming to speak with me. The RCMP's offered to to leave that uh, temporary detachment on and uh, territory and pull back to the town of Houston, which uh, incidentally is also in the Wet'suwet'en territory. But have you had any response to that offer? Have you heard from the RCMP or from the hereditary chiefs that... This works for them, and now maybe we can move forward.
2: Well, I, first of all, I think the move by the, the the RCMP is was very positive and also very responsive and responsible um, for you know their mission there. Right from the outset, has always been to keep the peace and and to resolve the the, the conflict that exists on the in that uh, territory um, as peaceably as possible. And they've been working tirelessly on that. And you know they evaluated the, the evolving circumstances and and they made the decision to. You know, deploy their officers and change their their posture on the territory, and, and in particular on that roadway, and and that was exactly what the hereditary chiefs had asked for. And so, you know, I, I think it is a very positive move, and I think it does create a path now, to uh, uh, to the peaceful resolution of 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 the situation. I will tell you, I think we've come to the time where the barricades have to be removed, be removed, because the impact on Canadians is very, very significant. So, so, so what does that mean? Well, what it, what it means is... So, know, I mean, I, for
0: for a couple of weeks now, we've been hearing your government say that, look, we're looking for a peaceful way out, we're looking and, for a peaceful a negotiated way to end well, these and, barricades. And and, and
2: and what it means to me, Peter, but is...
0: But there, there haven't been any meetings yet, and now... now, well, there I'm, has, there now has,
2: there's been ongoing discussion, discussion uh, between Minister Miller and Mr. Bennett, and M- Miller in particular is in, in very regular right. contact with But I, but I sense a change in your, your posture
0: now, saying you're, you're, you're now being clear that the barricades have to come down.
2: I, I believe that you know we listen very carefully we have been committed to peaceful resolution and we have a long-term commitment to ongoing uh, dialogue on reconciliation all of those things are terribly important to us and to Canadians and so we're, we are absolutely committed to that but the impact that, that this is having the, the, the rail blockades is having on Canadians right across the country um, is, is, is very significant on families on people's ability to support their families and earn a living and so We've been listening very carefully, and, and in that dialogue, you know, they, they've been made it clear that they wanted to see a change in the posture of the RCMP. The RCMP, in a very responsible mm-hmm. way, have made the operational decision uh, to, to, to move to a, a different posture which maintains their res- function of, res- of keeping that area safe, but also removes a lot of the issue of conflict. And so, Is... is, is
0: and, and again, I said, I, I, I think I, I detect a change in the government's posture with the conversation we're having here that time is running out on this process of peaceful negotiation and trying to find a,
2: and I, Fair? I think everyone on, on in this discussion is, should be, should be very well aware of the urgency of this work and, and I will tell you the, the police of jurisdiction in, in Ontario that's the Ontario Provincial Police in Quebec perhaps the Sûreté de Quebec or other police services um, in other provinces it, it may be the RCMP working under a provincial agreement the police in every one of those places want very much and, and it is their goal to see if they can resolve these d- disputes and, and, and have these barricades taken down as peaceful a way as possible and we've been trying to support that by, by engaging um, the leaders in an ongoing discussion and to try to resolve and, uh, the issues that they raised. We've so, made real okay, progress so, on let, that, and so we believe that it is time
0: sorry, to so move you, forward. You've had no progress on that?
2: I think No, I, I think we've made real progress on that. and, and Which we, is you know, still haven't
0: has a, is a meeting despite a number of different overtures. I mean,
2: well, I, let, I, let me throw one this out I to really you. want to convey to uh, the, the indigenous leadership that we have, and particularly uh, Mark Miller, has been working with we need them to come to the table we yeah, believe we believe that it is, is, is the patience time, of the
0: government running out here you, well,
2: you, I, you know what i'm not going to indulge myself in impatience we got a job to do and our job is to uphold the law keep people safe and also uh, to to address this this the impact that these these barricades and this disruption of services having on ordinary canadians and so we are seized with the urgency of that and, but and I, mean, I guess so we're I'm, not going to stop working hard on it,
0: it. it, it it strikes me as watching this that your level of urgency is a different level of urgency than the hereditary chiefs and let, let me propose this I mean they're I've, ta- I've said they're a two hour drive away from from Ottawa right now they're, they're going to be in Tyendinaga they're going to be in Montreal and yet they're not talking about. It. They're going to see supporters, but they're not talking about a meeting with ministers. who have been trying to get meetings with them for days. I'm very. So is
2: that is I'm, that? I'm, you, I'm highly motivated. In, is and this very now much pushing
0: the government to say, look, if you won't even if if you won't talk to us about the concerns face to face, what do you want us to do? Is that where we're at here,
2: Peter? I'm still absolutely committed to a peaceful resolution of, of of this situation to have those barricades removed. If that peaceful resolution of of this dispute cannot be achieved, when will you know that? Then. Well, I, I, I believe They're that... We're there. Well, and, and I, I will tell you, I've been involved in a lot of negotiations over the course of my life, and, and I think it's a mistake to start setting deadlines and issuing ultimatums, and I'm not doing that. But I want everyone to understand there's an urgency to the work we need to complete here because of the impact this is having on everyday Canadians. And, and I'm, I'm also concerned. I don't want to see Canadians lose their confidence or their support for the reconciliation agenda. And, and so I think there is an urgency to, to getting this resolved. I know that uh, the premiers uh, f- feel that same sense of urgency, and, and their police services want to do it as well. We we want a peaceful resolution, and we're working hard to achieve it.
0: Okay, um, but so you're you're suggesting uh, what what I'm hearing is that. Uh, again, the patience is running out. We, are we talk, I know you don't want to put deadlines, but people no. watching want a deadline. People who have lost jobs or are losing jobs being laid off, municipalities who can't get supplies or are soon not going to be able to get supplies, want to know if they should be preparing for two more weeks of this, two more days of this. What can you tell them tonight?
2: I can tell them that I understand the urgency of, of, of bringing this to a, a successful and peaceful resolution, and we're working full out to get that done for them. And, and, and the, their, the pain that they have been experiencing, the worry and anxiety of, of, of the job security, and, 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 and even just people's ability to get around the country, that really is front of mind for, for, for us in, in these discussions we we want a peaceful resolution we have we have brought you know a, a, i think a respectful and 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 we've been listening to the concerns that are being raised we've tried to address those concerns as well but we also understand that the, the impact of these blockades is unacceptable and cannot be sustained i believe and i've said it several times today it's time for those barricades to come down and i would urge the people to come back and and let's get this job done
0: right so You've you said it's time for the barricades to come down, um, and part of that—that that conversation changed today with the, the the offer being made by the RCMP of British Columbia on you know, the student territory.
2: Yeah, the the, the RCMP, uh, you know, I, they're also a, a part of their mandate, part of their responsibility is to keep the peace. They are peace officers first and foremost in this country, and and I think they demonstrated that commitment and their professionalism in the decision that the the, the operational decision that the commissioner and the deputy commissioner made to and and. and you know, they were—they've been evaluating that environment for you know continuously over the past several weeks. They came to that decision, and I think it does create the circumstances now that allows those discussions to move forward to a successful conclusion, and we want to get on with them.
0: Okay, I, I'm still curious though. Why—why why have you decided now is is the time the blockade? I mean, in part the RCMP move, I guess, uh, in British Columbia, but. There's got to be something else. But well, there's the, got, to, there's what, got to be a frustration I, with the no, fact well, that... you know
2: what, I don't indulge myself in frustration, Peter, because I don't think it's helpful. What, what we, we do believe, though, is that the people that we were disc- talking to said very clearly that they wanted to see a change in the posture of the RCMP... So uh, you've on, made on, them, ...on, on you, what was said in t- territory. The RCMP, I think, responded to that in a very appropriate and, and professional way, and that I think they've created the circumstances that can lead to a peaceful resolution of this dispute and so uh, if 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 people truly are interested in in resolving this in a in a peaceful way we're ready to come to the table and get the job done but we are also very much aware of the the impact that this is having on Canadians ac- across the country and in in, in in almost every community and and that urgency i think brings a strong sense of urgency to our work i'm not setting deadlines but you seem but, to have but, more urgency
0: than the hereditary chiefs have
2: well it, I, I think that I'm reflecting the urgency that I have heard from Canadians across the country, and I hope that those uh, who are on those barricades are aware of that as well. And I also hope that they will see the, the, the decision, the operational decision made by the RCMP today spoke directly to the, 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 the concern that they raised on why they went to the barricades in the first place. I think they can see that, you know, the, the RCMP, the government of Canada, has been very responsive to the concerns that they raised and I hope that that will encourage them to come back and, and finish the job of getting this resolved peaceably. It, we just want to get those services, those trains running again, those services available, protect those jobs and, and we also remain committed to continuing the dialogue of reconciliation and addressing the concerns, other concerns that have been raised that you know, the, the, those those are issues that have existed in this country for generations. They're not going to be resolved today, but we're committed to working with people to get them resolved. Okay,
0: Public Safety Minister Bill Blair. Thanks, Thanks very for much, time. Peter. Thank you. Well, let's expand this discussion now with three members of Parliament. Pam DeMoff is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Indigenous Services. She's with us again tonight. We've been talking a lot about this issue. Todd Doherty is the critic for transport for the official opposition. He's back again because there's clearly lots to talk about. Charlie Angus joins us tonight. He's the critic for Indigenous Youth. For the NDP. It's good to see you all. Thanks Thank you. for uh, taking time to speak with me about this ongoing and important subject. Thanks, I just spoke at length with the Public Safety Minister, Bill Blair, about the latest developments and this offer by the RCMP to leave uh, their temporary detachment uh, in the Wet'suwet'en territory. Uh, Mr. Doherty, your party has been calling for the police to remove these uh, blockades that have popped up at uh, rail crossings across the country here in different places. Uh, here we have the RCMP offering to to back off, if I can put it that way, in an effort
3: to de-escalate the crisis. Do you support that? Listen, I, I support whatever is going to uh, ha- come to a peaceful resolution. Uh, and I've been saying that, uh, and we've been saying that all along. If um, and That's great news to the, to hear that um, it looks like uh, the RCMP are going to um, do whatever they're doing or uh, necess- necessary to actually defuse the situation. I think that that's important. We've always said that... Allow the police to do the job. that We have full confidence in their skills and ability to uh, protect peace, protect peace, protect our communities, and have the tools necessary to, uh, at their discretion, to be able to right. do whatever. But, it but your, is.
0: your your party is suggesting they enforce the rule of law. That's a, that the police should go in there and remove these blockades. And here we have the RCMP. Uh, on, uh, cl- clearly, their posture had been to maintain this temporary detachment on Wet'suwet'en territory, now, given this crisis, they decided to change
3: that posture and move away. That would seem to go against the kind of things you've been no, telling. Our, our, our party has been very clear that we are calling on the government, the Prime Minister, to first ascertain and tell Canadians, are these blockades illegal or not? Are we a country of rule of law or not? And if so, Then we should allow the police to do whatever they feel necessary uh, and use the tools at their discretion to defuse the situation and for a peaceful end to uh, to this conflict.
0: Okay, Mr. Angus, is this the right move by the RCMP?
6: I think that the RCMP has made a very wise move. I think they realize the situation has become untenable. There needs to be a de-escalation uh, so that we can begin negotiations. So we have a window. My concern is is if the government doesn't step forward with a really uh, credible plan on the table, that will not de-escalate the situation on the other blockades, which is where the potential for something going wrong, for something spiraling out of you know, out of everybody's hands is very, very, very real. I'm very concerned about the situation. So I'm pleased that the RCMP have they've dialed it down. They've, they've given us space. Now in that space, it really is now incumbent upon the prime minister. It's not good enough to say he has a team. It's not good enough to say he has ministers. Uh, the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs want to meet the prime minister. I think the prime minister needs to be able to say, Listen, we're going to suspend things. Uh, we will send in a mediator. I would suggest someone like Senator Murray Sinclair, or maybe one of the BC ch- uh, uh, ch- uh, regional chiefs, to say how do we deal with this uh, dispute within the community, but that that would send right. a message to the Mohawk communities, to the other indigenous uh, activists across the country. They want to know that something is going to change, and st- unless we, they have that, The blockades will continue and we will have lost it. Doesn't that open the door?
0: So, should the Prime Minister meet with any protesters who have a a grievance with the government, or or is this different?
6: Uh, this is an unprecedented situation, and I think anybody suggesting it's not is, doesn't, has never been out on the street where the young, there's young Indigenous mo- walking and moving across this country protesting. The, the chances of other protests coming up if okay. something goes wrong are very, very, very real. So, so the Prime Minister showing leadership at a historic moment.
0: Uh, Pam DeMoff, there's this building pressure on the Prime Minister to get personally involved here and, and offer to meet with the hereditary chiefs as they've demanded. Uh, why isn't he offering to do that?
7: Well, he is personally involved, though. Uh, he is involved. He's, he's, they're working on this night and day. The Prime Minister is personally involved. And there is dialogue continuing. I think it's very hopeful what's happened today. And, and you know, I'm encouraged to hear my colleague from the Conservative talk about, you know, that, that they're also hopeful because I, I, I've gotten a little frustrated over the last few days of only talking about the rule of law. The police have the tools that they need now. No one is the, in the government is saying, telling the police not to do something. We're not telling them to do something. We are, are giving giving the police the ability to do what they do do, and I have confidence in the police services to do their jobs. So I, I I think it's but it's the message. A I mean, find. are
0: you suggesting the messaging from the government doesn't have an impact though? And, and I know, you know police, are, you know, make their own make their own decisions. But it would, what would it look like if the prime minister was talking about the need for peaceful negotiations, and while he's doing that, the Mounties are tearing apart a blockade?
7: Well, I mean, they're independent, uh, Peter. They, they are. It's okay. it's, it's uh, the the message we have been trying to convey is that we want a long-lasting, peaceful solution to the issue.
0: Mr. Doherty, are you, are you concerned at all as we watch this? We, we have, as we speak, we have uh, the hereditary leaders uh, who uh, they are meeting with supporters at, at blockades mm-hmm. in Tyendinaga tomorrow. Uh, then they're supposed to go on to Montreal. They're a couple of hours' drive from the nation's capital and the ministers that have been asking for a meeting with them, but so far uh, there's no meeting
3: scheduled. Uh, well, you're absolutely right, Peter. I, I mentioned this yesterday in uh, uh, the very same comment about the dialogues taking place. Well, dialogue isn't taking place, and our colleague from the NDP mentioned this. Is, it's not to say I have a team or I have a minister that's doing this. Prime Minister needs to show leadership and needs to take action. As a matter of fact, I just took a phone call from uh, a, a chief in my, in my riding that said thank you for doing what we are doing. Uh, he said that, you know, he asked me this question, he goes, a very important question, do the rights and title belong to, uh, to who do they belong to? They belong to the community. And in these communities, those, that, those communities elected uh, chiefs and council. To represent them and the chiefs in council and hereditary chiefs, uh, elected in favor of lifting their communities out of out of out of poverty. Now, a very important question, uh, it, and it continues to be said. I said this earlier in a comment. I believe our comment or our, our colleagues from the NDP have said this. When you're meeting with the hereditary chiefs, you need to meet with all of the Wet'suwet'en, um, and you can't. It's not enough just to meet with the, the angry few. You need to okay. meet with all of the Wet'suwet'en leadership. Mr. Mr. Angus, what do you think forward. of
6: that? Well, I... I. I think we need to be really realistic in terms of our role as parliamentarians. This issue is much bigger than us. It's simply not credible for the Conservatives to say, well, there's, you know, the good First Nations and the bad First Nation people, and uh, yes, that's yeah. not a credible response. What's going on within within the Wet'suwet'en community uh, is, a, is obviously a divide, but it has triggered a much more massive response that has created... Uh, a, a movement much more politically potent and uh, potentially uh, problematic if it's not handled right than Idle No More. Mm-hmm. However, if we actually show leadership, if the prime minister gets it that we got to contain this, we have to dis- de-escalate. If we send some clear messages, we may be able to get through this, get the trains running. That's got to start All happening. Right, but, they... but if if the, if the hereditary chiefs are are meeting with the the Mohawk blockades. But the Prime minister is not calling him, but yet the Prime minister is calling the Premiers. Uh, there is a disconnect there, and Canadians and Indigenous people are the losers for this lack of stepping forward and saying, you're right, we're going to have to sit down, we have to de-escalate, we've got to okay, find let a way me, through this. a
0: couple of minutes left here. Mr. Doherty, let me go back to you then then to Pam Damoff, because I want mm. to talk about the motion the House debated today. It was a Conservative motion. You sponsored the motion. I did. Uh, what, does it, what does
3: it ask for? Listen, it is asking for us as that the House recognizes that stands in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en people, the, the 20 First Nations that, that voted in favour of, of economic prosperity, that we stand against a- radical activists. And, and those are the words of the Wet'suwet'en that are on the ground that are saying, these aren't even our own people that are banging the drum. As I mentioned earlier, the, the chief that phoned me and said, I've never seen so many white wet Wet'suwet'en in all my life. And he's, he's disgusted in the white person that is banging the sacred dr- drum. He said, they don't stand for us. They don't represent us. Everybody that wants to stand there and, with their fist in the air saying that they support the wet Wet'suwet'en okay. need to hear the other side of the story. And that's what the, the motion today all right, is Pam, all about. All uh, right,
0: Pam DeMoff, uh, can you support that motion?
7: No, I can't because I find you know we as a country have been very selective in indigenous peoples that we want to support, and we don't want to support when it's convenient for us. And the motion is deliberately done so that it it it, it, it ignores the the root problem that we're facing here. And and. So no, we will not be supporting the motion, and and you know, quite frankly, I I I, I hope the rhetoric tones down. When you see the uh, someone running for the leadership of the Conservative Party supporting vigilanteism, you see transport trucks. Um, running through blockades. It's frightening what's happening out there and we need to just tone down the rhetoric and give some space for some negotiations and for dialogue to happen.
0: Mr. Angus, where is the NDP on this motion?
6: Well I think this motion is very problematic because again it's saying there's good Indigenous, those who support the project and then there's the radical activists. It can't even describe People who disagree with the Conservatives is anything other than such a derogatory term. I would say, are they going to say that the Mohawk people are just radical activists? They've called people the mob. Uh, They're calling them eco-terrorists. They're calling them lawbreakers. Well, I've walked out on the streets where there's the young Indigenous from uh, Kanasataki, from Kitigan-Zibi, from across Canada who are inspiring young Indigenous people, and they don't see themselves as the mob, they see themselves as the future, so this is a divisive tactic. I think we need to say, let's de-escalate, let's get the conversation going with, within and, and but we then need to deal with the blockades that are in other parts of the country. And uh, I don't think they're going to give a tinker's darn for the Conservative motion
0: today. They're going to be still on that line unless they see an offer from the Prime Minister. Okay, we're going to let it go at that. Uh, thank you all for your time again tonight, uh, and we'll chat again soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Well, now let's turn to the actions of the RCMP on the Wet'suwet'en Territory over the last number of weeks. Today, the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission for the RCMP decided it will not proceed with an investigation of the RCMP's actions in dealing with those protesters opposed to the Coastal GasLink pipeline. But not because the Commission doesn't have concerns about the actions of the force, but because it conducted a similar investigation in New Brunswick when the RCMP moved in on Indigenous-led anti-shale gas protesters there in 2013. Now, this takes a little explaining. The Commission issued a report on the RCMP actions, but it is still waiting for the National Police Force to respond to the findings and recommendations of that investigation about what happened in New Brunswick. So, it concludes today that it would not be in the public interest to proceed with another investigation in this case because many of its same findings can be applied to the RCMP's actions on the Wet'suwet'en territory in British Columbia. So a number of groups in BC calling for an investigation alleging the RCMP had broken the law in dealing with anti-pipeline protesters. Let's hear what they had to say today.
8: Injunctions that are obtained by courts in Canada have restrictions and limits. They're not unlimited. RCMP must only respond according to law and follow the rule of law, something we've bandied about quite a bit recently, without precision. The oversight body for the RCMP has said that they have conducted and produced an over 100-page report on the behaviour of the RCMP in previous situations. And she has said this is directly applicable to the situation here. And perhaps imminently across Canada, there will be efforts to dismantle or take down other instances where there are First Nations people standing up to defend their rights, we're standing up in alliance with the Wet'suwet'en people. It is extremely important in a matter of national interest that policing practice be clarified so that the rights of First Nations people are respected.
9: It's scary because they, they keep putting out this narrative that somehow they're just doing their job or, you know, we're these crazy protesters. My 72-year-old mother was out there last year. She was out there because I couldn't be out there because I have two small aneurysms in my head and everybody said, no, you're an Indigenous woman with a shaved head and you have a strong presence. If something happens, the police will target you. And I know that that's true. So instead, my 72-year-old mother went out and stood in my place and she said, you know, I'm non-Indigenous, I'm a 72-year-old white woman. She said, if something happens to me, there's hell to pay. That's an incredibly sad statement. And that was after they said that they weren't coming in with force. So we all know that I have to see it to believe it. I mean, right now it is just a media strategy. We need to understand
0: that um, the UN declaration is of utmost importance in terms of what it represents to bring forward indigenous law and indigenous legal institutions to stand alongside the other uh systems of law that exist in this country harsha walia is the executive director of the bc civil liberties association she joins me from vancouver to discuss the response from the head of the rcmp civilian review and complaints commission today uh miss walia first of all thanks for taking time to join uh with me today and to have this discussion i appreciate your time
10: Thank you for having me.
0: Can I start by asking you, with the groups you joined with in this action, what was the reaction today uh, at your news conference uh, to the offer from the RCMP to leave that temporary detachment set up along the access road in uh, Wet'suwet'en territory as long as the service road remains open? Uh, What was the feeling about that offer?
10: Yeah, what I can say is the Wet'suwet'en spokespeople who spoke to that, their concern was certainly that this uh, is happening without conversation with the hereditary chiefs. And also that the RCMP are still maintaining a detachment. They're moving locations, but that uh, CIRG, the response team, is continuing to maintain a presence on the territory. So I think uh, they're still waiting for a full withdrawal. They're waiting for conversations to happen in a good way. Uh, and that's, that's been their response.
0: So that it's not uh, they're moving off this temporary uh, detachment, or that's the offer about their uh, setting up in Houston, uh, which is still on right. Wet'suwet'en territory, right?
10: That's right, and presumably they're setting up a detachment to continue their policing operations, so they're not actually uh, closing down their policing operations on the territory.
0: Okay, Um, so uh, let's see where that uh, story ends up going. But um, let me ask you about the reasons you asked the Complaints Mm -hmm. Commission to launch a public investigation. Let's start there. What are you alleging about the actions of the RCMP on the Wet'suwet'en Territory?
10: Yeah, so what we've seen with the RCMP since uh, the second week of January and what we uh, issued a complaint about, we issued two complaints. One is an urgent update, uh, and our complaint included eight testimonies from people in Wet'suwet'en territory, including media, uh, including legal counsel, and including Wet'suwet'en people and their invited guests. And what we saw was a a range of issues emerge, particularly with respect to the exclusion zone on the Morris uh, River Road, on the Morris Forest Service Road, rather, sorry, uh, including a denial of access and a restriction on people's movement. Uh, We saw restrictions on media, Uh, We saw an exclusion zone that did not actually correlate with the injunction. And so all of these taken together are serious concerns, where that they infringe on people's charter-protected rights, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a serious infringement. Uh, It's an infringement on Wet'suwet'en's people's ability to move on their territory. Uh, We saw restrictions on uh, press, and we know freedom of the press is a very highly protected uh, charter right and, and our charter and so, you know, taken together, we saw the RCMP as instituting an unjustified and overbroad policing power in Wet'suwet'en. Okay, uh, so, so that was the of our complaint.
0: Okay, and so you take this complaint, you you ask the uh, civilian complaints commission to in, uh, launch a public investigation. Uh, the head of the commission uh, sent you a letter saying that uh, she's refusing to to open an investigation, but not because she didn't think the concerns were serious, but because she's already reported on similar allegations against the Mounties in, in New Brunswick. So uh, what, and you've seen some of the, uh, the, the recommendations that she's put forward and some of the findings she's made. Uh, mm. wh- what, did you, what do you draw from those and how they relate to what you say has been happening with suit and territory?
10: Yeah, absolutely. And I should say that she leaves it open whether she will uh, call a public investigation right. at any given time. Uh, but I think this letter is really, it's quite unprecedented, and it's shocking because we got it back so quickly. Uh, and I think what the chairperson has made clear in, in her letter is is that, you know, these are issues that have already been raised with the RCMP with respect to uh, an issue that came up in Mi'kma'ki territory in New Brunswick in, t- in 2013. So this is seven years ago. And that seven years later, the RCMP are, uh, you know, have, in our opinion, uh, clearly have not learned. Uh, from the recommendations that were presented to them in the interim report. The chairperson also makes clear that the RCMP commissioner has been, uh, sitting on this report since last year, that the commissioner is waiting. The chairperson is waiting for the response from the RCMP commissioner. So I think that should be troubling really to all Canadians that the RCMP, uh, has a series of recommendations and findings that no, no one knows about and no, that this has not yet been made public. Uh, because it's an interim report and it's awaiting a response from the RCMP commissioner. Um, and many of the issues that are raised in that interim report are are starkly similar. So the issue of an exclusion zone uh, needing to be defined, that there's not an arbitrary power given to the RCMP to have an undefined exclusion zone, uh, that restrictions on the media are unreasonable. Uh, this is, of course, a charter-protected right. Uh, that um, having stop checks of vehicles and requiring people to provide their identification, uh, to search vehicles and passengers, that these are all not justifiable under the law. Uh, so a very similar series of issues have emerged. Uh, the commissioner also makes clear that you know uh, policing operations, particularly when it comes to indigenous communities, is something that needs to be taken very seriously, uh, given the history of Crown RCMP relations. And also what it means in an era of reconciliation. So I think for all of these reasons, you know, this is an incredibly powerful letter to, to get. And even though the, the commissioner and the chairperson is not initiating a public interest investigation, uh, what we glean from it is that uh, the commissioner is saying, you know, we don't want you to have to wait uh, another, uh, you know, the length of time that other people have had to wait, and that these issues are, are pertinent, they're of significant public interest. And so it's really quite unprecedented that the chairperson released the summary findings to the public, despite the fact that that has not yet been made public as a report yet, because right. it is of significant public interest.
0: And and are you okay with the 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 explanation that um, I don't want to for now launch another public investigation into what's happened with the RCMP in in and territory, till I hear back from them, till they respond to this other report? Uh, part of me wonders. Well, why not run another investigation that would reinforce the findings, if that's the case, of the previous report and sort of, uh, you know, sort of double up on that evidence if it's there to to question the actions of the Mounties. Why not have another uh, another investigation, even while you're waiting for the Mounties to respond?
10: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a question that the chairperson can answer. Um, I take from it that they don't think that the length of time that that will require is really what people are needing. Uh, I think the chairperson recognizes in their letter that the... The amount of detailed investigation and the, t- the process that that will potentially lead to, including maybe the RCMP sitting on another interim report, uh, does not serve anyone's best interests.
0: All right. So what happens now, do you think? What's, what's the lesson from uh, even though there's no public investigation, is there enough in this, you think, to uh, send a clear message to the RCMP and to the, the, the public about um, how, how the force might be doing its job?
10: I think absolutely you know I think there's been a lot of conversation about the rule of law in recent weeks and I think you know this is a very clear example that the RCMP operations are themselves an affront to the rule of law the RCMP are charged with upholding the constitution they're charged with upholding uh you know our people's basic civil liberties and their human rights to ensure that their policing operations do not violate people's liberty interests that they don't violate people's charter protected rights Uh, and I think we have ample evidence Uh, That the similarities with what happened in 2013 that the Commission has pointed to and what's happening today in Wet'suwet'en territory are very similar. And that the RCMP has already received this guidance, they've already received these findings and recommendations from the CRCC, they've had this report for one year, uh, and yet they're continuing to maintain these kinds of policing operations, many of which are clearly unlawful. Um, and so I think the RCMP really uh, need to need to demonstrate how they can possibly justify this. Uh, there's many examples of this. One of them, of course, is the RCMP have said that they are simply enforcing an injunction. Um, but we know that the exclusion zone is actually outside of the injunction zone. And that is one of the things as well that the CRCC chairperson pointed to, that the RCMP need to be educated about the parameters of, a, of enforcing an injunction. And so I think there's uh, many reasons that we can look to to be skeptical of the RCMP's policing operations in Wet'suwet'en territory, including just the excessive use of force that we're seeing. Um, and also the RCMP okay. have said the exclusion zone has come down. But we've heard multiple reports that people are continuing to be stop checked in their vehicles, which is one of the clearest um, abrogations of law and charter rights that the CRCC chairperson pointed to in her, in her letter.
0: All right, uh, Harsha Walia, uh, Executive Director of the B.C. Liberties, uh, Civil Liberties Association. Thank you for your time today. It's good to speak with you.
10: Thank you for having me. Speaker, one
5: of the many ways you can tell that the Prime Minister doesn't know what he's doing is when his message changes every single day. First, the Prime Minister elevated the protesters, talking about how they were defending their communities in the cold. Then he tried to make a link between radical anti-energy activists and reconciliation. Then he said that the protests were illegal, but that it wasn't up to him to enforce the rule of law. So, simple question, can the Prime Minister tell us on what day these illegal blockades will come down?
11: The
1: Honourable Minister of Public Safety.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, our government knows that the current situation is having a very significant impact on Canadian jobs, the economy, and the well being of all Canadians, and we feel the urgency of that impact. At the same time, Mr. Speaker, reconciliation remains a crucial priority for our government and for all Canadians. Mr. Speaker, we have been working tirelessly to resolve the circumstances that have led to these blockades. Today, we are aware of and encouraged by positive developments, and we'll continue the hard work of solving this situation as peaceably as possible.
0: Well, let's bring in our panel of party commentators. Lots to discuss on the ongoing blockade crisis. Susan Smith is a liberal commentator. Tim Powers is a conservative commentator. and. Robin McLaughlin is an NDP commentator. Good to see you all. Uh, Here we are into week two plus now. I think 15 days of of the blockades, and and let's start there with some, I think, some opening comments about where we are, because we now have a bit of body of work to watch here over two plus weeks. And what strikes you about how this is unfolding and how the crisis is being managed by the government, Susan?
4: I think what strikes me is how complicated it Mm -hmm. is, and how a clear solution. Uh, is not evident, regardless of who's in government. I think uh, the the and the hereditary chiefs, have an issue. The elected and members of the community have another issue. It's been piled on in other parts of the country, and the, a clear solution is complicated. We also, as a country, in terms of law enforcement, because I know this will be something that we talk mm-hmm. to people saying, "Why aren't the police just going in and clearing that out?" Uh, our police officers. Have learned things over the years the hard way, through Ipperwash, through Oka, mm-hmm. through through situations like that that escalated. So our police are trying to find a way to de-escalate this situation in a way that can be resolved for everyone. But it's totally frustrating for people, and the economic impact is definitely significant.
12: Tim, what are your thoughts? Uh, it, 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 also, the political rhetoric doesn't fit the circumstance right I think uh, there have been some conservative politicians who've gotten it wrong I think the Prime Minister got it wrong a little bit earlier when he talked about the Andrew Shear being disqualified from a meeting and all of that I think there are people that are trying to take advantage of the circumstance for their own political gain and not appreciating as Susan rightly said the complexity of this issue uh, because it's more than one issue Um, I think the Globe Mail actually had it right today in its editorial, and it talked about that, that yes, two weeks in politics is a lifetime, Mm. and it creates a lot of pressure, and you have a lot of people saying act, but nobody's actually said what a clear solution looks like. So if you act driven by that emotion and the rhetoric of the day, you're going to get in trouble. So we may be frustrated for a while longer and all of these political leaders of every political stripe, including some of the elected indigenous leaders who have been providing a solution orientated sort of dialogue need to continue to do that and dial down the fighting that is being elevated up because of uh, inherent racism or misunderstandings. Mm. Robin?
11: Yeah, I think th- I think both Susan and Tim are right in that the the problem in the pol- political scene is the the you know the temptation to use a knee-jerk reaction to those that you know might want to simplify this situation mm-hmm. because it is complex and it is long we can't just look at it the long two weeks we've just had you have to think of the long life at long lifetime in the relationship between the crown and indigenous peoples and the suffering that's gone into that and a lot of the complexity is complexity we've imposed on indigenous peoples there's a, the reason that there are elected and hereditary chiefs which can seem very confusing to anybody looking at this is because of the complex structure we put in place through the indian act uh, and the politicians that uh, are are tempted into responding to some of the uh, frustration, which is rightfully being felt by Canadians across the country, is that then they try to simplify in the issue and just saying, "Well, there's some people blocking something that they're not allowed to block." Um, but you know, there's a lot of a lot of situations that Indigenous communities can point out and things that settlers and the colonial past that we must live with have done where we weren't allowed to do that. So it's important that not just to say we're going to de-escalate the situation but to put into motion things that will de-escalate it and part Mm. of that is making sure that the very presence of the RCMP which is a blockage for the Wet'suwet'en people to to negotiate uh... is is not an irritant to us finding a solution and it looks like progress is finally being made so the RCMP will remove themselves and that from the proximity. Can I
12: build off that there was a real interesting poll yesterday by Ipsos Reid, and it, it kind of captures the Canadian mood. Sixty-one percent of Canadians said the blockades have to end. That's probably a little higher today. Yet there were seventy-five or seventy-eight percent of Canadians who said, but we need to address Aboriginal issues, uh, indigenous issues, excuse and me. This and this is where
0: those two things clash, right? And this yeah. is
12: where and this is where they they clash. And Susan made another key point that I want to go back to within indigenous communities and i used to work in in the indigenous affairs department so i can tell you i've lived this firsthand there are different communities within communities as there are in different indigenous communities and there are different agendas that are equally at play. some may be worthy some may not be worthy depends on your perspective that's all playing itself out here too so it's really difficult i think most people are saying the rule of law needs to be adhered to it just depends what version of rule of law you're looking at and, and, who's, saying it. and who's saying it but um i think everybody does want to find a solution um but pushing it too aggressively is not going to help but it that said these blockades do need to end because you the pain it, and suffering you, i mean there's, there's
0: sort of a range of of sort of opinion and commentary and, and rhetoric that you hear in this which is uh, you know, move the barricades yesterday, like just send the police in and get this done or have the police, the police should follow the law, the rule of law and do it. Then then you hear uh, sort of, in the, you, you, uh, and I, I guess I would put it in the middle, are people who understand why it's happening, but others say, look, can we have a conversation at least about a deadline and some certainty and about when, uh, is that a valid uh, push to be making? You know, as I watch things unfold as we speak here, they... Uh, some of the hereditary chiefs are in, you know, are within a two-hour drive of Parliament right. Hill. Yeah. But there's no plan to meet federal ministers at this point. They're still they're meeting their supporters at the, at the blockades. And I guess it leads some people to wonder, well, you know, uh, who, as, as hard it is to make a stretch, who's deciding the timetable here? Who's, who's calling the shots? And I and, think and that's kind of crucial. And the government's clearly taken the position that, for the moment, they're not calling the shots. They will let this thing play out the way the hereditary chiefs want it to.
4: Well, I think it goes back to the complexity of the issue, and it goes back to... I learned a lot. I worked for a very tough politician many years ago, and Tim knows, Tim and Robin know this politician as well. And one of the things I learned from working with him is that backing somebody in a leadership position against a wall, because you're trying to get your way, never works, because they can't be perceived to lose. And so the more wiggle room you can give in search of a solution, I think the greater the likelihood you have in terms of of achieving a solution. So- when the rhetoric is dialed up but at the we level, but who are we talking about? We're talking about pushing both, but the prime minister to the corner or more, the hereditary more chiefs? The chiefs. More yeah. the hereditary chiefs. I think because they're the ones, you know, that are they're the ones that are behind or driving the blockades at this point in time. We need those blockades to go away. This is not a game of whack-a-mole that we're yeah. playing. That we push one out of the way, because another one will definitely pop Absolutely. up. Absolutely, that's You have right. to figure out a way to deal with this. I get this is incredibly frustrating. I am concerned about the economic impacts of yeah. it, but if we if the approach this week is drive a solution down somebody's neck, set a deadline in the sand you're just going to see, or in the snow, you're just going to get another blockade or another disruption that stands up. So I think but to, that's
0: really important too but what if, what if there's still no meeting by next
4: Wednesday, okay, next time, Thursday, time yeah, It's next hypothetical Friday. at this okay. point, right? There's Bye. been movement today, I think, sorry Robin, yeah. Yeah. Just quick, the RCMP have said they're going to get out of Wet'suwet'en territory and they're going to go and and set up in the town of Houston. That's a huge move. I think that's mm-hmm. a that's a really huge opening. So I think okay. it's over to the chiefs now.
11: But the problem, and you raised the question, Peter. Like, well, so why why don't we just the police get sent in there and take down the blockade? But remember that the the a lot of these blockades that are up there are because of the way the police went in the first time, uh, and then they were enforcing the injunction, and that's what aggravated a lot of uh, what the Reddy Chiefs themselves, but also a lot of the the solidarity protests. So. It absolutely is, and there's footage of people with, like, you know, sights on people and the suggestions that that was, an, uh, you know, provocative, and that's what, until that irritant is resolved for the red chiefs, they're not able to negotiate with the Mohawk, who have another blockade, and say, no, leave this to us to negotiate with the federal government so that we can go back to the core of the issue, which is the coastal gas pipeline. Why is the prime
0: minister personally leading, saying, I'm prepared to go see the chiefs? This is on me now, I'm prepared to lead this. Tim, should he be?
12: I think he has to be careful with that from a precedent-setting perspective because there will be others who will look to take advantage of that in the future. He has, uh, if I remember correctly, in in Oka uh... And in Wash, neither of the leaders of those governments of the day went to actually meet with the indigenous leadership that was in conflict with the Crown at that point in time. But there's a really important thing that keeps getting missed in all of this. And it, it, we keep all talking about the police and sending them to, to, to storm the barricades, or the suggestion is by some that they actually do that. Again, Susan hit on this earlier. Since OCA, since wash police units, the OPP, the RCMP, uh, other major police forces have done a ton of work on Aboriginal and indigenous policing they do have the injunctions they do have the ability to act they are I hope and it seems from my perspective having worked with some of them before rightly exercising uh, discretion at the moment because the last thing they want the last thing even those who are saying these barricades need to come down want I assume is bloodshed and death And I'm not overstating it when I say, given the powder keg that could potentially erupt, if it takes three more days or four more days and nobody is hurt, and there are there's no blood on the yeah. snow. Then that I think is uh, an important and positive outcome.
11: We could make this a much longer crisis if there's anything like what Tim's talking about. So it's very important that yes, time is frustrating and it's hurting it's hurting the economy and it's being felt in a lot of communities. Um, but other but the other side of this is much worse. Uh, we are already dealing with you know uh, centuries uh, of of problems with Indigenous-Crown relations. If we create more of a problem in terms of how this is resolved, we won't be resolving any of these issues going forward.
0: Yeah, we should also. point Point out that the uh, part of what's at the heart of this is the is the is the conflict between band council uh, elected officials, yeah. which are fall to the Indian Act, and and uh, and
11: that's been like that for and and but and the court the hereditary rights have the recently Chiefs. started to move that power more towards hereditary in those spaces, which is complicated. Right, but, so but, but there the have been government.
0: calls on the government to deal with the treaty ish- yes. issue for, for yeah, years, is and nothing's happened. So problem. Let yeah. me ask you. So we talked about the 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 what certain politicians are saying about this and 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 how that contributes to the conversation in whatever way peter mckay was on the program here last night and we talked about the blockades and how he would be enforcing the rule of law he later tweeted uh... support for the counter protesters who took down a blockade near near edmonton and he tweeted that hey it's good to see a couple of albertans with a pickup uh... to see what a couple of albertans with a pickup can do uh, can do more for our economy in an afternoon than justin trudeau could do in four years um, he later deleted the tweet after uh, there were suggestions that it supported vigilanteism. Then he sent an email out to supporters uh, where he repeated the tweet and talked about his real interpretation of it. He was not mad, he was sad that the, the, it had come to this. Um, how does that help the debate, or, or what do you make of that interjection? from mr mckay and we also have aaron o'toole part of the leadership race saying he'd pass a law if he was prime minister uh, banning all demonstration on on crucial infrastructure
4: well let's start with mckay if he's a wannabe prime minister that's not wannabe prime ministerial behavior at all from uh... from him uh... in terms of enforcing the rule of law uh... i we live in a country thank goodness where the police uh... the politicians don't tell police uh, when to go in and execute certain activities that's up to the police that's you know that's underpinned by supreme court rulings and so on so i think peter mckay is showing a lack of judgment Uh, i think he's pandering uh, and i think he's probably going to regret that pandering because i think some people have even unpacked that there were soldiers of odin and some some other interesting people at those barricades so he has to be careful right. who he's supporting a yeah.
0: couple of minute, uh, minutes a minute or so yeah
12: yeah uh, uh, i'm sure peter wishes that tweet had not gone out uh his social media needs a bit of work to understate it I thought he was uh, supervising it all now uh, though, well Tim. But see, that's the thing. Uh, that fair enough comment, I suppose. Uh, but uh, the, this is where the the leadership politics needs to stay out of discussions like this one, and that somebody's getting anxious in the leadership side of it. Same as the prime minister making his comment about Sheer being disqualified, like. All of you, stop, focus on the issue that is at hand. I'm not sure about Mr. O'Toole's recommendation and the law that he's proposing. I believe critical infrastructure is already protected. Just stop trying to take advantage of a very combustible circumstance. Final yeah, comment you. Know, to you.
11: Uh, I saw Lisa Raitt say something on TV that was very really intelligent on this. Is I don't care who it is that's in the room. If you can help, uh, then get in the room and let's figure this out. So if you take that attitude toward this, then absolutely leadership politics should be out of this. Because nobody from any side of the political spectrum would think that uh, the, the politics of a leader Leadership race on one side of the political fence is going to help a situation like this. Uh, the Just the pure logical problems with that tweet and suggesting that uh, one person's barricade is illegal, but another person's vigilantism to knock it down is somehow merited. Uh, and I think it's unbecoming of a former Minister of Justice. I have a lot of respect for Peter McKay. Uh, and I think it's unfortunate when sometimes uh, the knee jerk reaction to try to feed the base of a party uh, actually fans the flames of, uh, I'd say, a racial division in this country. All right. Thanks for your time tonight. And we'll continue to follow this story, obviously. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.
0: That's all for another edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC. We are the cable public affairs channel. Thanks for watching. I'm Peter Van Dusen. We'll see you next time.